Lovely to see you tonight in the Lord's house. We're happy that you're here with us. We're going to begin by singing number 523, simply trusting every day, trusting through the stormy way. Let's stand to worship the Lord. Let's come to the Lord, please, now in prayer. We'll settle ourselves and pray for his blessing and help in our service. Our loving Father, we bow in the Savior's precious name once more today. We are thankful for the help we are assured by the Holy Spirit who is given out in abundance to your people 
And Father, at the very beginning of our time tonight, we pray for that necessary ministry of the Spirit of God to enable us to pray and to read the Scripture, helping us, Lord, to understand and have the application of the Word to our hearts. We pray tonight that we would be filled with appreciation, Lord, for all that has been done for these hearts of ours. We have been saved from a lost eternity. We will never be in hell. O oh God, we only have heaven to look forward to. And as we are reminded in this morning's meeting that we are glorified already, O oh God, it is a wonder that goes beyond our comprehension. The great work of redemption, of all that our Lord Jesus has done for us, his own precious blood was shed to make atonement for these sinful hearts. And, O oh God, today we can lift our voices and our praise for all we have received. Help us, therefore, O oh God, to go forward every day in the joy, the joy of Christ. There would be in our soul a desire to share our faith, we would have an open door of opportunity. Lord, you would go before us and give us grace and strength and the recall of memory of verses of Scripture that we might share with those who are without the Savior. And Lord, let it not be something that is simply put on by way of performance we don't want any of that, Lord. What we want is simply the genuine expression of a redeemed heart, able to communicate what has happened to us, where we have come from, and where we are going to. And so, Lord, give us joy in our souls tonight. We think of those who are grieving the loss of loved ones recently and not that long ago, Lord, pour out your grace, we pray, in a great way. Thankful for those who have been visiting the services here recently. And we pray that the Word of God would have great impact in their hearts. They would be brought to Christ. And if they know the Savior, they would desire to be built up in their most holy faith, going on with the Savior and Lord, use us, we pray, to encourage and disciple and see each other built up before Christ Jesus. Lord, we are thankful tonight for those who have come to milestones in their lives. We're thankful for our sister, Mrs. Nichols, tonight, coming to her 90th birthday. We pray your blessing would be upon her continually. We ask, Father, for those that are marking other anniversaries. We pray for the work in Port Hope tonight and for our brother Cranston as he comes to the final service for his retirement now. Go in front of him and Doreen 
and bless them, bless the congregation there. Father, give wisdom and understanding, and we pray that even now the right man's heart would be touched for that ministry. Father, do we pray what we cannot do ourselves and raise up those to go into the harvest field. We have been commanded, Lord, come to the Lord of the harvest, which is exactly what we're doing tonight. We're coming to ask, we're coming to plead, O God, upon the promise of Scripture that you would raise up young men to be preachers of the gospel. We're thankful for those men who have recently come, who have graduated, those who are in our seminary. Lord, may they be separated unto holiness. May they be men of God and men of prayer. And may it be so evident as they stand to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, they have an anointing upon them which is not something academic. It's not something of some internal gift or prowess. But rather, it is evident and clear of the power of the Spirit of God upon them. Father, this is what we need in our day. I pray that continually in our own pulpit here. And Lord, that you would bless every man who stands behind this place to preach the word. We're thankful for our servant, your servant, Brother Ferguson, tonight. We're thankful for the ministry that he has had amongst us and in North America over the last nine weeks. And lo, Lord, he might be weak in body, but we're thankful he is strong in spirit. And we ask that you would bless again his word to us. We're thankful for last evening at the Port Hope dinner, the word about the master's voice. And we pray that that will be written on our hearts. And the message today about justification, we ask, Lord, tonight he would know strength again as he brings and preaches the word. Let there be a great ingathering of souls that have heard the word and will come now to profess faith in Christ. Lord, hear our prayer. Make us grow and spread out, Lord, and increase in every way. We ask that all glory and honor would be to our Lord Jesus. Remember all those who have needs, sometimes are quiet, private, cannot share with another. But Lord, we're thankful that every burden we can share before the throne of grace. And we know we have been commanded, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain thee. And so we will come as Peter admonished, casting all our care upon thee, for thou dost care for us. Father, hear our prayer tonight. Bless every detail of our service. Bless our fellowship after the service tonight. We will once again enjoy each other's company, thinking about the things of our Lord Jesus. Father, hear our prayer tonight. Continue with us now, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Number 522. 522. We'll stand, please, again to sing. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word.
there was a day when we did not know the Lord as our own Savior, a day we were, well, in the darkness of our own sin and shame. But when the Holy Spirit came and opened our hearts, opened our understanding, then we were given the gift of faith to embrace the Savior. And we'll say, as the hymn writer did, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His Word. And as we sing that song tonight, oh, for grace to trust Him more, well, we set off on the Christian road, and we know the grace of the Lord in our hearts. Then some trial comes, maybe some great temptation, and we may stumble and fall, and yet we long to get back on our feet again to serve Christ, and we pray, Lord, just give me more grace that I can trust and follow and keep my eyes by faith upon the Lord continually, because as we do that, He will strengthen us with might in the inner man that we might serve Him and go on from grace to grace. We are glad that you are here with us tonight in our evening service. You are very, very welcome here. You're in person. You've come for the first time. Maybe you've come back again. And also the folks viewing our service online tonight. We give a warm word of welcome uh, to Nathan again tonight. We're glad that you're in our service with us. We trust the Lord would bless you and encourage you in the Lord. And uh, we're also happy that our brother Alan Vincent is back with us tonight. We're happy that you're here. We've been praying for you, brother, and for your mother. We know that things have been difficult for you as well, but we're happy that he's here with us and encourage you. Also, Mrs. Nichols, great to have you in the service tonight. You're celebrating a very monumental birthday, and we are happy that you're here because we want to celebrate with you tonight. We're going to be having a fellowship time after the evening service downstairs, and we'll take an opportunity of marking a 90th birthday for our dear sister in the Lord. Very special time, and that we also want to welcome Mrs. Nichols' cousin, you're also very welcome in our service tonight. We're happy that you're here with us, and we trust the Lord would encourage your heart. We've been blessed uh, almost every Lord's Day, certainly, and uh, in the morning services, sometimes more so when visitors are coming, and uh, we are thankful to see them. And we welcomed also Lewis, a young man was in this morning from the Delgado family I mentioned years ago, and uh, it's great to have Amos in the service with us tonight as well from Nigeria. Amos is over here studying at Centennial College, and uh, we want to encourage this young man in the Lord as well, so you make sure you make these folks very, very welcome in the Lord. Mentioned this morning about the passing of Mr. Roger Browett, Sr., and our condolences went to a brother Dan and to the rest of his family. Mr. Browett, Sr., for many years was a faithful member of our congregation here, and it actually was through Mr. Browett Sr. that Dan and his family began to come, and now our brother Dan Browett, one of our deacons, faithful deacons serving many, many years now. Well, it's been difficult. We know that the passing of and the loss of our dear sister Jennifer is about a year ago over that now. It's been a difficult time and uh, we certainly want to uh, commit our brother to the Lord. Let me read out a little note of thanks here. 
On behalf of my mother, Audrey, sons Andrew and Matthew, daughter-in-law Christy and me, I would like to thank the church family for the many condolences received by card, phone call, and text, and email during this past week following the passing of my father, Roger, on October 23rd. These communications demonstrated care and compassion by God's people in our time of grief. Special thanks to Robin Cleland and Jonathan McAnally for practical support in connection with our family service yesterday. We miss my dad greatly, but know that he is in heaven with his Lord and Savior, and that one day we will be reunited, which gives us great comfort at such a difficult time as this. 1 Thessalonians 4, we sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Gratefully, Dan Browett and family. So, brother, we continue to hold you up in prayer before the Lord at this time of difficulty. It was great to see Dr. McClellan in the service this morning, and I'm sure he's watching online tonight. And so, brother, our prayers continue for you and also for Mrs. McClelland as she's taking care, good care of you as always. And so we want to ask the congregation to continue to hold up our brother. Remember also, please, Mr. Richard Teo. Uh, Richard, you know, he usually sits over in the back over here, but the last several Sunday mornings, because of his disability, he's not been able to be out at the service and would ask you to pray for him. And also our brother Ron. Ron has been coming most times morning and evening with his, his disability, but uh, he's been uh, feeling sick the last few days, and so please remember Ron in prayer. And uh, we've seen Serene was with us this morning in the service, and maybe tonight here as well. These things are important, and these people to remember before the Lord in your prayers. We're very happy to welcome Reverend Gordon Ferguson as he brought the word this morning to us, and uh, he will be sharing again uh, tonight the scriptures, and we're looking forward to that, and we'll give him a, a little bit more of an introduction uh, closer to the service. Please remember, as I've mentioned, the time after the evening service tonight, uh, downstairs in the basement, and you're all welcome to remain behind for that time of fellowship the Ladies' Bible Study this Tuesday night, the recommencement for the fall time. It will be at 7 p.m. on Zoom, and that's October the 31st. And then our prayer meeting on Wednesday, and please come and be bearing the burden of prayer for the congregation and for all the needs that we have. This coming Saturday, November the 4th, will be the fundraising breakfast for the Pregnancy Care Center. And if you'd like to go to that or at least make a donation, you can do that online at their ministry or also through our own congregation here. Mentioned this morning about the Congress sign-up sheet. If you are at all interested at the moment, we have eight names that are on that list, and we want to encourage you, please, tonight, before you leave, don't forget to do that. I need to contact Brother uh, Stephen Pollock and let him know any others who would be interested in going uh, overseas. That's for the International Congress this coming July, the 
first to the fifth and all those details we've been talking about for, for a bit and they're on that sheet on the table at the back so please sign that if you would like to go. Remember our brother James Fraser and Alex Newell, two of our elders that have now been put on the session for our Fredericton congregation. They're going to be traveling down this coming Friday to Fredericton, and they're going to be next Lord's Day with uh, Brother Frank DiDerno and the congregation there. So please remember them in prayer as they travel. They'll be ministering the Word next Lord's Day there, making a presentation to Mr. Neil Sampson, and really be there to let Brother DiDerno know that we're behind him, we're supporting him, remembering him in prayer. We want to see the Lord do a great thing in that community, so remember them. And then also a note just regarding communion will be on November the 12th in the morning. Those are all the announcements that we have for you, the ministry. We're going to sing another hymn at this time. It's not in our hymnal. The tune is a very familiar one, Safe in the Arms of Jesus. We've never sung this one before, but the words are very, very good, and you'll be able to pick them up very easily. So let's stand as we worship the Lord with this song tonight.
Well, you're picking up that quite well tonight, and the words are excellent. A tremendous uh, thought behind this. The final verse says, Saved for the day of glory, then the redeemed will still of the blood of Jesus loudly their praise will ring. Save now to await with patience, looking by faith afar, till just before the dawning rises the morning star. I think that last, that word there that says sin would be sing. That would be a better one to put there, wouldn't it? Yes, I think so. That's not the fault of the guys in the back room because they were just sent this and it's a bit of a typo, but it's a pretty serious typo. Uh, we want to be sure we get that corrected anyway. So make sure you sing the right word that uh, then the redeemed shall sing. All right, this final verse. good. Well, in a moment, our young adults are going to be coming to bring a message in song tonight. And uh, right after they finish, our preacher tonight is going to come and bring the word again. We're very, very thankful to have Reverend Gordon Ferguson with us. As we have been mentioning, he has had a long journey in North America, and he's excited to be home leaving tomorrow evening to get back to be reunited with his family. His dear wife passed away some years ago, and uh, he has had to bear through that challenge. And so he knows what it's all about to uh, lose a loved one and a life mate. And so remember our brother as he continues his faithful ministry. He is going to be holding some meetings. I mentioned this morning that it was a gospel campaign, but... It's a meeting for believers the following week. He gets a week to rest home, and then he'll be serving the Lord again in that capacity. We have appreciated his very humble and gracious manner and the presentation of the Word of God powerfully given. We're very thankful to the Lord for him. And I ask you to remember him, please, in your faithful praying. So we're going to welcome him to the pulpit just in a moment. And uh, young people, you please come now to sing tonight.
Well, that is a beautiful hymn, and it was beautifully sung by the young people, and we do thank them for it. And I want to thank Dr. Saunders for the very kind words of welcome uh, that he has given uh, to me. It's nice to be with you here in Toronto. I do have a connection with Toronto. My father lived here for two and a half years. He said the winters were too cold, the summers were too hot. Now, he came before any of you were around, I think, because he came here in 1930, and he spent two and a half years here. His brother came, he was married, and had a family, and some of them much older than ourselves as cousins. They served in the Canadian forces, three of my cousins during the war. One of them lost his life, and a number of them have served on the Canadian police. A first cousin once removed came the last time I was here a couple of weeks ago, and her brother, who would be my first cousin once removed, is now the longest serving officer on the Toronto police. He has served some 51 years uh, on the Toronto police. I've never actually met him. Uh, I was to meet him, but he wasn't able to come. And uh, my cousin who was here, she came uh, to Port Hope. They took me out for a meal uh, during the past week. And uh, she's my cousin's wife, her mother, and she's 97 years of age. I was sending some photographs home to my family, and they sent me photographs of her and her husband when they attended uh, my sister's wedding some 43 years ago. So it doesn't seem that long ago, uh, but time uh, very quickly uh, disappears. Uh, I, I enjoyed that hymn. I enjoyed the previous one. I didn't know it, but I remembered the tune because uh, Dr. Saunders has mentioned my wife's passing over five years ago, and we sang as one of the hymns at her funeral, Safe in the Arms of Jesus. And that's where she is, safe in the arms of Jesus. She was a great wife. Um, I, I sometimes say uh, she wasn't a good judge of a husband because she married me, but I was a good judge of a wife because I got the best. And I'm very pleased to say that. And I know the Lord chose her, saved her, kept her, and now she's happy in the presence of her Savior. I, I want to read some verses from Acts chapter 16, and I want to commence reading at verse 19. I said this morning I would speak on the conversion of uh, the Philippian jailer. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 16 and commence at verse 19. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace onto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, 
Awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. We'll end at verse 31, and we'll unite our hearts briefly in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that thou wilt bless us now, that thou wilt speak to us, draw us to thyself, let us hear thy voice, let us taste and see that the Lord is good, let us taste and see that the word of God is good, and speak, Lord, speak to my heart, fill me, speak to each heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text is verses 30 and 31 of Acts chapter 16. And uh, we read in uh, those verses uh, concerning the Philippian jailer uh, that he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said unto him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. There's a great contrast in this chapter between the conversion of Lydia and the conversion of the jailer. Uh, her conversion was done in a very quiet way as Paul and Silas spoke to the ladies who were gathered together at a place where prayer was wont uh, to be made. Uh, but the conversion of the jailer was in a very noisy fashion, and there's a great contrast between the personalities of the two people. We think of Lydia as a genteel lady. We think of this man as a rough and tough character. But both were saved and both were brought into the Philippian church and both are now together praising the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. So we want to think about the conversion of the jailer. And the first point I want to make is this. God was determined to save the jailer. You'll notice in this chapter, we didn't read the portion, but the Apostle Paul was going to move to Asia to preach. That would have been going off to the east. Not, not Asia as we think of the continent, but the province of Asia uh, in the east of Turkey. Uh, the Spirit didn't allow him to go there. He was forbidden to preach the word in Asia. Then he thought of Bithynia, another province uh, inside what is modern Turkey, and again, he was hindered by the Spirit of God. The Lord directed him towards Europe. And he went over there. The first convert in Europe was Lydia. And aren't we glad? Because it came to Europe, it went further, went across the Atlantic, and went across the great ocean, and came to North America, to South America, and so on. God was moving. But in this case, God was determined to send Paul to the city of Philippi, uh, and he was determined to send Paul and to bring him into contact with the Philippian jailer. He, in fact, brought Paul into the prison. You say that was rough men and hateful men, and men opposed to the gospel brought him into the prison and beat him and sent him there. But the Bible says that God worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. God used uh, the wickedness of those people 
to bring Paul and his colleague Silas into the jail at Philippi. God was determined to save this man. This morning I mentioned something from the book The Doctrines of Grace by Dr. T.T. Shields. I want to mention something else because many years ago, I think it was in his charge before he came to Toronto, he had a man in his congregation who was not interested, it seemed, in the gospel. Now, Dr. Shields was preaching, not in his own pulpit, uh, but in the pulpit of a friend, and he mentioned uh, the shepherd in Luke 15 and verse 4, going after the sheep until he found it. And he spoke about God's determination to save souls, how God has chosen his people, and how he has predestinated them, and how he goes and he seeks them, brings them to himself. After Dr. Shields had preached, his colleague expressed uh, some concern about the message. He didn't think it was an appropriate gospel message for Dr. Shields to preach. The next Sunday, Dr. Shields preached the same message from his own pulpit. Normally, we do it the other way around. We preach it in our own pulpit, and then we preach it somewhere else. But he preached it in another pulpit, then he preached it in his own pulpit. And there was a man in his congregation, uh, and that man's wife had come to Dr. Shields when he came to the church, and she said, I want you to pray for my husband. He didn't come to church. He was a very gruff type of a character. He wasn't interested in the things of God. She said, I want you to pray for him. And when he gets saved, we're going to leave the Baptist church, or she was, because he would never become a Baptist. And Dr. Shields said, it's, it's much more difficult for the Lord to save him than it is to make him a Baptist. After a time, the man started to attend the evening service, then the morning service. When his wife wasn't able to come to the uh, midweek meeting, he came out one time and said at the door, well, the house had to be represented. And when he went home, each time he would say to his wife, don't you ask me to go again. Uh, that man hit me all over. Now, she didn't ask him. He went along of his own accord. And one Sunday night, when Dr. Shields preached on that text in Luke 15, verse 4, the shepherd going after the sheep until he found it, God really spoke to that man. When he came home from church, he was twice as cross as usual. He was saying, don't ever ask me to go again. But God convicted him that very night. And he went out into a shed, got down before the Lord, and asked the Lord to save him. The next Sunday evening, there was a testimony time after the service, and he stood up and he said, and he was rough the way he spoke it, uh, he said, I wrestled with the Lord for nigh on to 40 years, but the first Sunday of this year, he was one too many for me, and he downed me. The Lord saved that man, and we can say God was determined. God was determined. The hymn writer said, determined to save. He watched o'er my path when Satan's blind slave I sported with death. And may I say this? If God had not been determined to save you, that is, assuming you are saved, if God had not been determined to save you, you would never have come to him. Such is the perversity of the human heart. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It will find many ways 
of avoiding the truth and turning its back on God. That's the heart that we have by nature. And were it not for God's determination to save, you and I would not be saved. I want to make a second point, and I want to say that the jailer had no interest in getting saved. He was probably a Roman veteran. He would have seen many die in battle, and he himself was probably a battle-hardened survivor. It was the practice of the Romans as a reward for service in the military to give them some other post. And one such post would be to be placed in charge of a jail. So we assume that this man had been in many a battle. He's hardened by being in the battle. And you can see the roughness of the character. It says that he received a charge to keep Paul and Silas safely. And having received that charge, he thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. That word thrust, it means to throw. The Greek word, I'll give it to you, I don't normally do things like that, but the Greek word is the word ballo. And we get our English word ballistic from that. Think of a ballistic missile. Think of someone going ballistic. It's an explosion of power. And that's how roughly the jailer handed, handled Paul and Silas. He just threw them in. He wasn't interested in them. He wasn't interested in what they had to say. And in a moment or two, I'll mention uh, what Paul and Silas must have said to him because I see it in our text. So he threw them in. He wouldn't listen to them. And then he went home and he fell fast asleep. That's how little concern he had about his soul. He was not in the slightest bit interested. Uh, he had no more interest in his own soul than if he were a cat or a dog. Not interested in getting right with God. That's just a brief point that I make. And then I want to go to another point, And I want to say that the jailer almost didn't get saved. He almost didn't. You're maybe thinking, well, if God was determined to save him, how could that be? Well, it's true. The two things are true. God was determined to save him, but he almost didn't get saved. He was seconds away from plunging his soul into eternal damnation. You see, when he was awakened, aroused by the earthquake, he assumed, wrongly, of course, as we know, that all his prisoners had escaped. He couldn't face the disgrace. He, a military veteran, as we assume, a man who was strong and mighty and in control of that prison, he would be disgraced if prisoners escaped and he would probably lose his life. He would rather, he would rather put an end to his own life than face such disgrace. And so he drew out his sword, supposing his prisoners had escaped, and he would have killed himself. He was seconds away from death when he heard this urgent plea from the inner prison, the Apostle Paul crying out, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Another few seconds, and undoubtedly, if he had died at that time, he would have been in hell. 
Perhaps there's someone here, or maybe more than one, and you, you, like the hymn writer says, as Satan's blind slave, you sported with death. You came close, maybe on one occasion, maybe on more than one occasion. Maybe you heard the gospel and you knew you needed to get right with God, and you were on the verge of committing the unpardonable sin. God was striving with you. Others urged you to come to Christ. You almost, almost crossed that line, that unseen line. You almost crossed it. And then God stopped you. And you were so convicted that you were broken before the Savior. And you cried for mercy. And you experienced forgiveness. Yes, all of us, if we had died before that time when we came in repentance and faith to Christ, we would have been lost. And I may put it this way to you. There is no encouragement, no encouragement for putting off coming to Christ. That jailer almost lost his soul. And who of us can tell if God is going to work on if God is going to break us and bring us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, I want to make another point. I want to say that the jailer was not saved without the involvement of God's people. And that's very important for you who are saved to bear in mind. He was not saved without the involvement of God's people. Two people are the key in this situation. And of course, you know that it's Paul and Silas I'm speaking about. They had been preaching to and witnessing to the Philippian jailer. You might say, how do you know that they had been speaking to him? Well, when the crisis came and Paul had cried out to him, do thyself no harm, he came, he called for a light. He sprang in and he fell down trembling before them and he said, in the words of our text, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The key word there from these two key people, at least from their witness, is the word saved. He wasn't talking about the saving of his life. What can I do to avoid disgrace? What can I do to avoid the authorities dragging me before them and asking why the jail is open, why it's not secure, why uh, there's a, a prisoner has escaped or whatever. No. He's talking about his soul. What must I do? And implied in that statement is, I'll do anything. I'll do anything that you tell me in order to be saved. Now he sees something he didn't see previously. He didn't see that he had need in his soul. If he worshipped, it would have been false gods and he would have had very little respect for them because of the nature of his life. But he didn't see it before, but he sees it now. He says, I have a soul. I am a sinner. I am guilty before God. How can I be saved from my sins? That's the word saved and the meaning of the word saved that he is using. And he gained all that knowledge, I am certain, from the witness of Paul and Silas. 
All the time he was roughly handling them and probably pouring his oaths and curses out at them. They were telling him of his need, telling him of a Savior who could rescue from sin. Perhaps Paul was giving him his own testimony and saying, I was very opposed to Jesus Christ. I breathed out. In fact, in the original, it's breathing in. And then, of course, from the outflow, the breathing out of threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. I brought people and I had them thrown into prison. When Stephen, the faithful martyr of Jesus Christ, was put to death, I approved. I gave my vote for his sentence of death. And I looked after the clothing of those who flung the stones at him. Yes, and, and I was bitterly opposed to Christ. Uh, people said he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, that he had performed miracles. I didn't believe it. I rejected him. And I was utterly opposed to him. And then on the Damascus Road, the Lord appeared to me, and he said to me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I cried out, Who art thou, Lord? Who is, who is addressing me? And he said to me, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I realized I was all wrong, that I was lost. Instead of being one that was bound for heaven, I was bound for hell. And the first thing I did was to address him as my Lord. I said, Lord, complete change took place. God had moved in my heart. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I surrendered my life. He saved my soul. He has been with me. He brought me here to Philippi. He has brought me into this prison, and he has given me words to speak to you. Now, I'm assuming some things here, but I have no doubt. Whatever words were used, Paul and Silas witnessed to that jailer. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been asking about being saved and how he could be saved from his sins. When the crisis came, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He addressed them as really lords or sirs. He now has a respect for them. His whole attitude has changed. And that is a wonderful thing. And I may say to you, if we don't tell people about Christ, how are they ever going to be saved from their sin? How are they ever going to meet with the Savior? If you're saved, you have a duty. When the church at Jerusalem was persecuted and scattered abroad, the Bible says, they that were scattered abroad, and it says, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word, not in a formal fashion, because the idea between, behind that word preaching there is one of, as some has, have said, gossiping the gospel, just talking it over to men and women. And I mentioned the word therefore. You'd have thought that was illogical. You're persecuted in Jerusalem. You have to leave Jerusalem because of, fierce, of the fierce opposition. So the logical thing you would think would be to keep silent. I was persecuted in Jerusalem. I'll keep my mouth closed. I'll seal my lips. I'll say nothing. No, they, they looked at it in another way. The Lord has driven us out of Jerusalem. He has put the gospel into our hearts. He has saved us. And when we're driven from Jerusalem, the Lord must have a purpose for that. He must want us to tell people in other areas. 
about the Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching, gossiping, witnessing the word, telling of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul and Silas were doing in the prison. But they were doing something more. They were praying. They were praying. And I'm sure especially they were praying for the jailer. They they could see something in that jailer that nobody else saw. They saw a tough man. They saw a vicious man. But they saw a needy soul. A man who was lost and guilty. And a man who, if not saved, was going to be in hell. And when they were praying, no doubt they were praying for their fellow prisoners, but also in praying to God, they were praying for the jailer, that God would save him, and if he had any family, that God would save them. And the next point I want to make is this. God came down into that prison. I should have said as well, you and I should pray. Pray for people to be saved. God came down into that prison. Why do I say that? Well, for several reasons. God came down. Verse 25 says, At midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And notice the next words. And the prisoners heard them. Do you think that's a likely occurrence? I say it is not. You're in prison. You're suffering, and I'm thinking of the ungodly prisoners in that prison, and you hear people making noise, singing. You hear them praying. And what would have been the reaction of the other prisoners? They would have shouted at them and cursed them and told them to be quiet. Stop making that noise. We don't want to hear you. But they fell silent. They hadn't one word of complaint. Indeed, they hadn't one word to say. They sat there or lay there, whatever condition they were, and they heard this singing, and they heard this praying. And I'm sure they were overawed. And why were they overawed? Because of the presence of God. You know, when God comes down, the meetings that we are in, they are especially charged with his presence. I I mentioned something during the week of meetings, and it was something that Dr. Kearns related to us, I think, when we were in the theological hall many years ago. He mentioned Fred and Ina Orr, who went out as missionaries to Brazil. And before they went there, they came to Dunmurray for a farewell meeting, and Ina Orr, was singing about God giving and giving and giving again out of his bountiful riches and glory. He giveth and giveth and giveth again. That's the way we would sing it. But Ainor didn't sing that way. Young woman, she sang, He giveth and giveth and giveth and giveth and giveth. And I don't know how many times she repeated the word giveth And Dr. Kern said, the atmosphere, I think he used the word electric. The presence of God came down into that meeting. Fred and Ina Orr 
made their way to Brazil. They were going up a river in Brazil and they heading for the Acre region. And Ina Orr ate some food that was off. I think it was chicken. And she got food poisoning. And she didn't want to make a fuss. The result was that she felt critically ill and lost her life. That woman loved those people, wanted to win them. But before she got an opportunity to serve in the mission field, she lost her life. Because she was buried in a town that was closed to Protestant missionaries, the Acre Gospel Mission were allowed to open a mission station in that town, and a gospel witness spread there. A church was established, a thriving church. Her witness, her witness was effective in reaching that town in a way she would never have expected, the presence of God. And when the presence of God comes down, the atmosphere is alive. The atmosphere, as I think Dr. Kearns expressed it, the atmosphere was electric. And we may say this, great things happen when God comes down. The tabernacle of old was filled with his presence. The temple was filled with his presence. Wouldn't it be glorious if God were to come down here when Dr. Saunders is preaching and anoint him afresh? And I know he does anoint him Lord's Day by Lord's Day, but to give him a very special anointing, give him unction, a special unction and power to see men and women coming in, filling every seat, longing to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that leads me to my final thought. The jailer was gloriously saved. He asked that all-important question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved. And notice the answer. It's all about Christ. It's not about going to church. It's not even about reading your Bible, good as these things are. It's not about praying. It's not about self-effort. It is all about Christ. He's told, believe on. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives him his full title. He's the Lord. You have to take him as your king as well as your savior, because there are people who think that you can be saved and not accept Christ as your Lord. I remember the Reverend Michael Patrick telling me he was over in America, and he was talking to a pastor, and a man came staggering down the street. And the pastor said to Mr. Patrick, you see that man? He's one of my converts. He has accepted Christ as Savior, but he hasn't accepted him as Lord. The truth is, he hadn't accepted him at all. Unless he's the Lord, and you're king, and you're his subject, and you give yourself completely to him, you can't be saved. You can't be saved. You can't be the king of your life and think that Christ is like a little added extra that will save you and allow you to carry on as you please. No, he's the Lord. He's Jesus. He became flesh. He dwelt amongst us. And he's Christ. The word means anointed. He is the appointed Savior. He's anointed by God. He has the official, he has the official sanction of God, his Father, to be the Savior. And he's the only Savior. 
Peter put it well when he said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No other Savior. Child's Chorus says, One way to get to heaven, Jesus is the only way. Christ alone is able to save. But what has this jailer to do? He has to put his trust, his whole trust in Jesus Christ. Believe on, put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I'm going to use a well-known illustration. A few days ago, Mr. Gulliher took me to see the Niagara Falls. My wife and I had been there 10 years ago, and we'd seen the falls. I, I have to confess, that time, I wasn't impressed. It was a damp day, dull day, when we were there. And I wasn't greatly impressed. I was more impressed uh, with the Grand Canyon when I saw it, but not just impressed with your great Niagara Falls. But this time, this time I changed my mind uh, because it was amazing. And I uh, did a little video, two or three little videos, sent them home to uh, my family, my, uh, uh, my children and grandchildren, sent it home to my brother and sisters and their families, and they were very impressed. So I must have done a good job. But many years ago, the tightrope walker, Blondin, he got a tightrope put across the Niagara Falls, and he walked across, across with a wheelbarrow. Uh, I don't suppose it was with the type of tie you'd have on a wheelbarrow today because you couldn't uh, keep that uh, on the tightrope. And he walked across, great crowd gathered, and then he asked them, do you think I could take a man across? Uh, and they all agreed he could take a man across. And the way I heard it one time was he said to some man, jump in. <laughs> well, I wouldn't jump in. I couldn't even watch him go across the falls. I have no head for heights. And I have no head for watching people do dangerous things at a great height. Can't watch that. Uh, the man didn't jump in, of course. And there's a sensible reason why he didn't. London could have uh, had an off day. <laughs> there could have been a sudden gust of wind. Uh, London could have made a simple mistake, or he could have had some health issue unexpectedly. And you couldn't put all your trust in London. Christ is different. He's God. He's almighty. And he's sinless. And he was able to bear we saw this morning, uh, he bore all that incarnate God could bear with strength enough, but none to spare. But he was able to do it because he's God and he's able to save. There's no risk attached, no risk attached whatsoever to putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you won't get any negative statement from him. He won't say, look, you have been too bad. You've gone on too long in your sin. He says, come, come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. While you could never trust going across a tightrope over the Niagara Falls with Blondin, you can trust Christ. Absolutely, absolutely. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And you know something else? God saved his family. And, and that's glorious. When we're saved, we want to see our loved ones saved. 
It's an awful tragedy. If we're saved and our loved ones are rushing madly to hell, what a tragedy. I was the first one saved in my family. and God has been very gracious to us. There's just one left that isn't saved. My parents got saved. My brothers got saved. Three of my sisters got saved. There's just one, and we're praying for her. And all my children have professed salvation in Christ. And he gave evidence of being saved. He was baptized. He washed the stripes of Paul and Silas. Different attitude now. He's not throwing them in. There's no ballistic uh, attitude now. No, he's, he's a friend of the Apostle Paul and his colleague Silas. He's showing tender regard for them. And when we're saved, we love the people of God. So sweet for me to come and meet more of God's saints. So sweet to go to that week of prayer and have fellowship with colleagues in the ministry and with elders in the faith. He set food before them, and the Bible says he rejoiced. People think you get the miseries when you get saved, that you'll be unhappy. You'll just endure it for the sake of getting to heaven. And you'll have to read your Bible, but you won't enjoy it. You'll have to pray, but you won't enjoy it. No. Life takes on new meaning because you have new life. You're a new creation. And old things are passed away. Behold, and it uses the word behold, behold, all things are become new. New life, new desires, new outlook, new joys. And you might even say to you, a new friend, a new saviour, new fellowship with God. What a blessing to be saved from your sins. What a change had taken place in the jailer. And wouldn't we love to see that change in all our loved ones, in those around us, in this nation, and in this world at large? We can say with the hymn writer, Oh, for the floods on the thirsty land. Oh, for a mighty revival. Oh, for a sanctified, fearless band, ready to hail its arrival. May God give us that blessing. And may God save you if you're not saved. May he restore you if you're backslidden. And may he give you a great love, such as the love that Paul and Silas had for the jailer. May he give you a great love for the unsaved, that you might be burdened to pray for them and burdened to witness of your Savior to them. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that thou wilt bless thy truth, that thou wilt apply it to all of our hearts. Speak, Lord. Speak to my heart. Speak to every heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Saunders is going to come back. Friends, you've heard the word of the Lord tonight, and it may be that some heart here has been convicted by the Spirit of God. Maybe someone watching our service online tonight. We are your servants. We want to point you to our Lord Jesus. If you have any questions, stay behind tonight and speak to us. And if you have a question online, you can always email, and we'll be sure to get back to you. The most important thing is to be sure 
that you are born again of the Spirit of God. To be sure, you know him as your own because the only entrance into heaven is to know that Christ is yours. I invite you also to be able to stay behind for a time of fellowship downstairs, and you are all welcome, and we'll make our way down there just as quickly as possible. We'll close now in prayer. Father, we're thankful for this word tonight and the clarity of the gospel truth. Write that upon every heart and those who are without the Savior. Lord, speak on tonight with a voice that is powerful, a divine voice. Lord, save, we ask this evening. We give thanks for our food that we'll receive shortly, a time of fellowship downstairs, and bless everyone. We ask tonight in Jesus' precious name. Amen.